Well, good morning again. Uh, again, my name is uh, Matt, for those of you who we haven't met, and I serve as one of the pastors here. For those of you I have met, my name's still Matt. It's still good to see you. Actually, it's really good to see you all this morning. Uh, I was traveling last uh, week and wasn't able to be here. And I was really sad about that because there were just some incredible things happening here uh, this weekend. If you were with us, you know um, we took a moment to install three new elders to our growing elder team. And uh, such a cool thing to see that happen. And then also last week, um, last weekend was kind of the culmination of our February love op, the gift baskets that we were putting together for our foster and adoptive families. And just so, so cool to see some of the pictures go up online of just people being encouraged and, and what some of that meant and just some of the mo momentum from that. And so uh, even from 700 miles away was just absolutely celebrating with you all, seeing just the amazing things that God was doing in and among Mission Point. And uh, that really, in a nutshell, is kind of the point of this series that we are in. Uh, welcome to part two of a three-part series, The Invincible Church, uh, where we're talking about the church and how the church is bigger and far more powerful than any one person. Uh, last week as Kondo uh, started off, I got to hear his message as I was traveling home. And uh, as he started off, he shared how he just celebrated this uh, significant birthday and uh, through it how, um, you know, he is just starting to uh, experienced the wear and tear of years gone by and he shared stories of, you know, things not working like they used to. And man, it is just so sad to watch that guy go downhill. I mean, <laughs> so old, so out of shape. And I know your prayers were with him like mine all week, just, just thinking about that, that struggle. And uh, I wish we could all relate a little bit more to that. Um, no, actually for me, it's, it's, it's funny. Um, I, I'm, I'm actually about to celebrate the, the same wretched cursed birthday myself. And so Kondo and I have been commiserating over uh, this, this fact. And uh, I got to be in touch uh, with some of my mortality this, this past week uh, as I went to Atlanta to uh, produce a conference for a company down there. And uh, this is a show that I have worked um, nine, nine years. In fact, the first time they hired me, I was in my early 20s. Um, and I did such a fantastic job that uh, they didn't hire me back for 10 years. I mean, it was just, you know, so stunning, the work that we pulled off. They decided to say, hey, we need 10 years to get over what just happened here. Uh, but then they invited me back. And uh, so in my early 30s, I started working the show again. And I worked at the past um, eight years. And so it's this thing that um, each year this company, uh, they, they bring their entire company together and they travel people into a different location. And so we show up and for about a week, we have this really, really intense time of just pulling the show together. And it's like crazy brainstorming and planning and setting things up and uh, putting, you know, the stage and lights together and working with the AV crew on site and, uh, you know, getting all these things together and scripts and interviewing people um, and, and putting things together 
together. And so we do that all day long. Uh, all day long, we're, we're building, building, making, creating, filming, shooting, all these things. And then during the nights, we edit and we put everything together. So there's kind of this all day long, you know, putting it together and then all night long editing, piecing it together. So that in the morning when they open the doors to their general sessions, the content that we've created is available for them to play in their sessions. And then finally, every year, this, this event uh, wraps up with a big awards, kind of an Oscar style ceremony that, that's really kind of intricate and crazy. And so... For about seven days, I go into this thing and I sleep about two to four hours a night for seven days. And so for me, you know, starting this thing in my 20s, it was like, well, this isn't even like a blip on the radar. I was fresh out of college and it was kind of like, well, this is just a continuation of the life that I've always lived. All-nighters, no big deal, no problem. Then in my early 30s, again, still no big deal. But I'd say the last couple of years, this thing has started to set in with me of I might be getting too old for this thing. I don't know because... I would say in the last couple of years, and, and this year more than, than anything, um, I'm just finding my recovery time from these shows just to take a little bit longer. And, and right now I feel like it's going to take me a solid eight, nine months to recover from the show that I just uh, worked, you know? In fact, I, I'm, I'm just reverting to this toddler-like state where now I need 10 hours of sleep a night and two nap times. And um, so, you know, you're actually fortunate that you're here for the second service because I slept through the first service. I didn't even get up. So, you know, no, that's not true. I did. But I feel like I need a nap. So anyway, I'm still recovering, still trying to figure this thing out. And so the moral of the story here is that both your pastors are getting old and we're wearing down. So please be gentle with us. But the great news is, is that the church has a much more promising future. And in this series, we are exploring some of the very ways that we believe Jesus designed the church to be invincible. Operating in his design, the church never has to slow down. The church never has to come to a stop. The church never needs to take a break from moving forward. It never has to stand still. The church ought to never die. No political movement, no social movement, not even the evil forces from the gates of hell will prevail against the invincible church. And, and last week, Kondo kicked us off with this discussion about leadership and the importance that it has in the church. And like I said, if you were here, you got to see that applied uh, in an incredible way. You heard an incredible message and then you got to see the application as we celebrated the growing team of elders. But leadership is only one component of the invincible church, and we are keenly aware of that reality. In fact, our desire as a leadership team is to always hold our leadership in its proper place and to humbly get out of the way for God to do incredible things through his body. And so this week, I want to explore the role of the body in the invincible church. And I want to take a look and, and contrast between two different stories in Scripture. And one of these stories is surely going to make you think, well, that's kind of a neat story. And then the other story is going to be like, wait, what? What is that about? And so I'll let you decide uh, which is which as we go on. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open it up to the book of Acts, the book of Acts in the New Testament. And we're going to start off in chapter four. As Kondo stated last week, uh, Acts opens up with Jesus ascending to heaven. 
In doing so, he essentially hands the keys to the church to his followers. And he says, hey, I'm out of here. I'm going to go be with my father and I'm gonna prepare some things up in heaven. Here you go. Here's the church. I'm gonna send my helper, the Holy Spirit, to be with you. And as we discussed last week, they got to the work of addressing some of their leadership issues while waiting for the Holy Spirit. And then the Holy Spirit comes and this moment is recorded in Acts chapter two and is known as Pentecost. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, the gospel is shared in really, really powerful ways and thousands of believers are added to the church's numbers during that day. So in the middle of Roman-occupied Jerusalem, they start living out what it means to be the church. And this isn't just a group of people who gather for a service on Sunday mornings. That this is far more encompassing than a service or a gathering. In fact, it's a way of life. Early believers back in that day were known as followers of the way. This whole way of life, this whole encompassing way in which they did community, in which they followed Jesus. And we get a sense of that when we look at these stories. Again, Acts chapter 4, let's start in verse 32. And if you don't have your Bible, we have the scripture on the screen for you. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. What a fascinating picture. Believers were one in heart and in mind. There was this unity of spirit. And we could camp out on this idea for weeks. A group of people walking in lockstep, being on mission. They had witnessed this Savior. And so now they're getting to work and what it means to follow him and to take his movement forward. And no one claimed any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. Now for us today, our Western mindset, we know that it has greatly devalued this idea of tribal community. And it has raised the value of what it means to just pursue individual pursuits, individual gain, personal reward. The American dream is to go out and to get your slice of the pie. And the bigger the slice, the better. So this thought of not claiming possessions and sharing everything, well, I mean, that's This is crazy talk. And yet how refreshing and inspiring is it when we meet people who just ooze this kind of generosity, this kind of just open-handed living, not clenched fist claiming this this is mine, this is about me, this is my thing, I'm protecting my own, I'm about myself, but no, an open handedness that says all of this is God's. I'm just stewarding it and willing to open their hands and use it for the kingdom. It's just so amazing and inspiring when you meet people 
in this way. There were no needy persons among them. Every need was being taken care of. People from time to time would sell houses and property and bring the money to the apostles to help take care of the poor. And we see that with the story of Barnabas. His name means son of encouragement, which I would say, yeah, it does. The guy went and sold his farm, his field, and he comes and he just brings all the money, puts it at the apostles' feet and says, here, take this money, put it to work. I entrust you with this money that you would do the Lord's work for his church, take care of the needs of the poor. It's amazing. And yet as long as this passage has been in print and studied, people have quickly assessed, well, this is admirable, but kind of impractical. How could people actually live this way? But before we dismiss this as just some sort of hippie, flower-powered, you know, 60s communal living Bible story, I wonder if in the power of the gospel, if we couldn't just consider what it would mean for us to live in harmony as believers. What, what, what could the gospel do in us if we were to be liberated from our selfishness and that there was an assurance that we would have support whenever we needed it? I think this is definitely something worth pondering and, and figuring out how to apply in our context today. Because as I look at this and I consider it, I think, what elements could slow the church down? We're talking about the invincible church, the church that moves forward, that never dies, that never stops, that never slows down. But what could slow a church down? People not living in harmony. People being selfish. Living for themselves. Living for their own story. But people who are living open-handed. People who have their radar up for the needs of others. That's an invincible church. A generous church is an invincible church because there is no shortage of resources to cover those who are in need. And I'm so grateful that as I say that, I'm looking out over a group of people who are just so incredibly generous. As long as I've been here and as long as I've heard us present different needs and things coming up in the community and around the world, I have seen you all step up in just unbelievably generous ways. So thank you for that. Thank you for how inspiring that has been to be a part of. Because with that, there's just this unbelievable, great power. Let's look at verse 33 again. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. People are giving generously for the sake of community and people are testifying to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. These are people, most of which you saw the death, the burial, the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus Christ with their own eyes. Many of them saw it. Many of them lived it and experienced it. If they didn't live it firsthand, they're standing next to someone who did. And so they are just one step removed from this thing actually happening. So my goodness, they had something to say, something so powerful to share. And as we read this passage and look at it, I look at it and I think, well, we can get our arms around what it means to be generous. There's handles to that, right? We understand in our context of 2017, 
what it means to, to be generous, but to testify, to bear witness, what does that mean for us? What, what do we do with that today? We're, we're looking and talking about and reading about events that happened thousands of years ago. What does it mean for us to testify? I think it's actually pretty simple. So let's talk about that. And here we go. This is going to be a little bit interactive. I want you to raise your hands on this one, okay? Who here can say, and if this applies to you, raise your hand. Who here can say that Jesus has done something to change your life? Raise your hand. Check that out. You're a witness. You've lived it. You have experienced it. In your life, you have seen the power of resurrected Jesus in action in you. You have something to share. You have something to testify. You can bear witness to the power of Jesus and the way that he has changed you. Okay, let's try this again. Try this again. Raise your hand. How many of you here know Jesus because someone was willing to testify and share with you. Check that out. I know I'm here because of that. I know there have been a number of people throughout my life who stopped to share and to bear witness to what Jesus had done in their life and applied that to what was going on in my life. Now, I grew up in a Christian home, so I had parents who were sharing Christ with me you know, all the time. But I do specifically remember the moment sitting on my bed with my dad when he walked me through the gospel and what it meant to give my life to Jesus. And when I was in middle school, Jim Moon, a part-time youth pastor, part-time upholstery worker who took interest in me and started spending time with me and bared witness to Jesus and what Jesus was doing in his life and encouraged me to think about and process and consider what it would mean to follow Jesus with my life and consider a life of ministry. Mike Bumgardner and Jeff O'Neill, two men who started to see me make bad choices in high school and they sat me down and they testified that Jesus had bought me with a price. And if I kept up with my behavior and choices, I was on the verge of throwing all of my potential away and facing a life of unwelcomed consequences. They stopped me dead in my tracks and helped me to wake up. And I'm here because people testified of seeing and hearing and experiencing Jesus. How about you? Some of you have lived and experienced these stories that just radiate the power and the light of God. And yet, how are we doing with bearing witness? Sharing that power, sharing that light, that hope with others. Last week, as I was on uh, my trip, I got to spend some time with a friend of mine who runs a ministry in Atlanta, and he was telling me uh, about a decision that he's been uh, just sort of weighing and struggling through um, to purchase some land in the Atlanta area and to, to build a facility for this ministry. And, and he was honest with me and just kind of struggling with all of sort of the doubts and the fears and, and who am I to step into this and try to buy land in North Atlanta and it's so expensive and it's such a crazy endeavor. And then he shared with me this story and the ways in which God had been moving and speaking to him. 
You see, he had shared his struggle with uh, another guy and, and this guy said, hey, um, could I invite my dad um, to come and sit down and have, have lunch with us? I'd love for him to share you uh, his story. He's a retired minister and God has recently been calling and speaking to him about something. And I'd love for you just to hear this story because I think it will bear witness with you and some of the things that you are going through. So this dad, we'll call him Jim. Um, he sat down with my friend to, to have lunch and he began to just share his story. And Jim was a longtime uh, minister and he's since uh, retired. But in his life of ministry, he had taken dozens of trips over to Israel, leading teams of people over there to, to do, you know, these, uh, you know, virtual walks through um, Israel, Jerusalem, some of the areas in which Jesus ministered. And he had just developed this passion and this heart for what that looked like. But as he retired and, and sort of moved out of that, you know, side of his ministry, um, he thought, you know, those days were over for him until he sensed the Lord was calling him to go back. And so he scraped up some money and he, he got together and he took a trip over there and, and, and just kind of went. And so he's just going and exploring and he finds himself standing on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, a, a really significant place in the life and ministry of Jesus. And as he's standing there and he's looking out over the water, he senses this unbelievable clear moment where the Lord is speaking to him and providing a vision for him saying, I want you to buy this property that you are standing on and I want you to build a retreat center and invite people from around the world to come and to come here and to experience learning about the Jewishness of Jesus and learning about his ministry and walking where he walked so they can see and experience and learn about Jesus in this really practical, tangible way. And so Jim, this American guy standing in Israel in the Sea of Galilee, living on a minister's pension, just kind of laughs. Like, oh, okay, um, not sure how I'm going to do that, but all right. And he, he, he goes home. And so he gets home and, and he just kind of sets it back into his life. And um, he meets this young believer and we'll call him Paul. And Paul asks if Jim will mentor him and Jim agrees. And so they start into this mentoring relationship and Jim is pouring into Paul's life. And then one day Paul says, hey, listen, um, I'd love to hear about your life. I'd love to hear about the things God's doing in you, the things that God has called you to do. And Jim just kind of laughs. and's like, oh, no, no, that's okay. And Paul insists. He's like, no, really, I want to hear what is it that God's doing in you? So Jim shrugs his shoulders and he says, okay, well, actually, um, you know, I have this passion for, for Israel and this ministry and just kind of dives into the story and, and talks about this property that the Lord is is feels like leading him to purchase. And yet here he is and he has no way, no idea, no resources, no ways to do this. And Paul's listening intently and Paul says, Where, where's the property that you're talking about? Sea of Galilee. On the coast? The sea, yeah, the coast of Sea of Galilee. Hmm. I gotta go get something. I'll be back. And Paul packs up and he leaves. And Jim's like, well, that's odd. Okay. Well, Paul comes back in a few hours and he knocks on Jim's door and um, Jim can see that Paul's holding some sort of like folded up blueprint kind of thing. And Paul says, hey, can we, can we go spread this out on the table? Okay. And so Paul rolls out this map 
And it's this aerial view of plotted out properties along the Sea of Galilee. And Jim looks at this and he's like, where did you get this? And Paul goes, don't worry about it. He's like, what? what?" And he goes, okay, Jim, can you put your finger on the property, the place where you are standing? What? Just, Just do it. Just put your finger on the property where you were standing when you felt the Lord saying, hey, this is the, this is the place. So Jim looks down at the map and, and he kind of traces his finger along the shore and he kind of is looking at different reference points and he goes, ah, right there. And Paul leans over and he looks and he goes, there? Mm-hmm. You're sure? Yep. Okay, I gotta go. Packs up the stuff, leaves. And Jim's like, what is going on? This is so bizarre. Like, who is this guy and what is he up to? Well, a few days later, Paul calls him up and he says, hey, Jim, can we get together? I have some stuff I need to talk to you about and share with you. So they do. They get together and Paul's sitting there and he has this big folder and he lays it out on the table and he pulls out this contract and he says, Jim, sign this paper and that property you pointed to the Sea of Galilee is yours. What? I mean, Jim's just, just staring open mouth like, what? What? And Paul's just sitting there with a smile on his face. He's like, I'm serious. Sign this and we'll start the transfer for you to own this property. And Jim just sits back. And so then Paul starts to explain his story. Paul's dad worked for this big oil tycoon, billionaire guy. And then he passed away. And at his funeral, this, this oil tycoon guy shows up and he walks up to Paul and his mom. And he says, Um, I'm successful and I'm wealthy because of your dad, because of your husband. He he helped me figure out where to drill for oil. He was my guy. He was my advisor. When he said drill there, I went and drilled there and he was right 10 times out of 10. The man had a gift. It was unbelievable. And because of him, I'm as wealthy as I am and as successful as I am today. And so I think you know that, you know, I, I took good care of him and paid him well and tried to do a lot of things for, for him and for your family. But I tried to do more. I tried to give him much more. I wanted to share in the profits and I wanted to help him out and I wanted to set you all up for life. And he just kept refusing and pushing back and no, 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 I'm not interested. So now that he has passed on, I want to do right by him and by your family. And so I've brought this and I want to give this to you. And he hands them an envelope. And they open it up and there's a check inside for a hundred million dollars. And Paul's mom takes it, looks at it, and rips it in half and hands it back to him and says, if my husband wouldn't accept this when he was alive, I can't accept it now that he's passed. Thank you. We're, We're so grateful for all you've done for us. But we're okay. <clears throat> this oil tycoon is not having it. He's like, okay, all right, fine. Don't take my check. But Paul, will you come work for me? Will you let me continue to, to be generous to your family through your employment? And so they work that out and they agree it. So Paul goes and works for this oil tycoon. And one of Paul's jobs is to manage this man's property. 
And so when he's sitting with Jim and Jim starts to share about this property at the Sea of Galilee, Paul instantly clicks into his work mode and goes, I think we own that property. And I know a guy that I think kind of wants to pay me a favor. So he goes to this oil tycoon and rolls out this map and he goes, hey, we own this property, Sea of Galilee, okay? There's a guy I know, God's doing incredible things in his life. He wants to do something. The Lord's called him to do it. Can we give him this land? And the guy goes, sure. So he's sitting there with Jim holding out the contract. And when I was talking to them last week, there were guys in Israel working on the sale of this property and transferring the ownership to Jim. So as Jim tells the story and he's looking at my friend, he says to him, look, if God wants your ministry to have this property and build this facility in Atlanta, he's got that covered. Stop sweating the details and get out and share the story with people. Testify. Testify. Talk about the amazing things that Jesus has done in your life. Talk about the incredible things that only God could have done. And we hear that story and we realize like, there's no way that man could mend that story together. That's an act of God. And yet in all of our lives, we have lived in these kind of moments, maybe not to the hundred million dollar scale, but we have lived these moments and you raised your hand and you said, Jesus has done a work and changed me forever. You have a story to tell and it's time to testify. What has Jesus done for you that needs shared? Now, I imagine someday we'll, we'll stand in heaven and I have no way of theologically backing this up. So forgive my heresy for a moment. This is just my imagination at work. But I imagine someday we'll stand in heaven and Jesus will call us up and he'll put his arm around us and he'll say, hey, listen, I've got um, my, my, my main man, my brother, Josh, standing here. I've got my, my friend, Sarah, standing here, my sister, Sarah. Raise your hand if you are here because they testified and shared with you. And I envision this moment where we'll watch these hands go up. And I imagine not only being reunited with people that we directly influenced and shared the gospel with, but meeting second and third and fourth generations and beyond of fruit that came from that interaction. Think about it. We are here because someone shared with us. Who will be there because you share with them? A testifying church is an invincible church because it will always be seeing new life. And you can't kill something that keeps springing up new life. Let's look at another angle on this story. Flip over to Acts chapter five, one chapter over, Acts chapter five, starting in verse one. Now a man named Ananias together with his wife, Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. Now remember chapter four, Barnabas sold the property, came, gave the money to the apostles. These two share, uh, sell some property. Verse two, with his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? 
And after it sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. The story continues. They bury Ananias. His wife shows up a few hours later. She's asked about the sale of the property. She digs her heels in, maintains the lie. And she too drops dead and then is unceremoniously buried. For everyone's safety, we're going to pass around the offering baskets one more time here this morning. <laughs> like I said, these stories, you know, one of them's like, wow, neat story. The other one's like, wait, what? And here, here's what I imagine in looking and studying this, that there was some kind of agreement that Ananias and his wife had entered into about what it would mean to sell this property and to give this money. Because what Paul is saying is like, look, this was yours. You could have done what you did, but you said you were going to bring it, but then you held back and you lied. So some sort of arrangement had been made, and I believe they broke that arrangement. And it's crazy, right? Listen, I went back and forth on this story because I didn't want you to get hung up on the whole dropping dead thing. But I did want you to see the contrast of this. And by the way, I don't think it's ever about the money. I don't think it's ever about the money with God. I think it has to do with your heart. Where's your heart? Are, are you someone who's living open-handed and, and living like everything belongs to God and he's given it to you to steward? Or are you closed-fisted thinking this is mine and I get to control and I get to make the call? In chapter four, we see people living in harmony, people testifying, people selflessly giving to the needs of the others. And what we see there is a picture of the invincible church. In chapter five, we see people who withhold, people who are selfish, people who are looking out for the needs and their own interest, people who aren't able to testify because they're too focused on their own story. And there's no life in that. In fact, there's death. And we long to be a place where people are all in. Not just 20, 30% of our people giving, serving, connecting in community, like the National Western Church averages would tell us, but all of our people taking steps forward with Jesus in the ways that they are connecting and all in with his church. Now, wherever you're at with God this morning, we are so, so glad that you are here. And, and if you're just checking church out, or maybe you're even willing to say like, hey, I, I don't even really believe in God or, or Jesus or any of this stuff. I just wanted to give this a try. Seriously, it is such a gift to us that you are here. But please hear me on this. We exist to invite everyone everywhere to life in Christ. And so we're going to keep going and keep inviting and keep inviting and keep challenging and keep encouraging and keep presenting opportunities for you to take steps forward in your faith, to get more connected, more committed, to give more, to serve more, not because we want more of your money or not because we want to fill up your calendar with a bunch of things to do and busyness. Now, what we want is for you to experience the fullness and richness of what it means to give and surrender your life to Jesus Christ. We want you to fully experience what it means to follow him. And my goodness, we are so far 
from perfect. But together, we want to keep pressing into what it means to be the church, the living, breathing, invincible church of Jesus Christ right here, right now in 2017. But this requires you. Kondo spoke about this briefly last week. The, the message was on leadership and how Jesus set up his church to have leadership and structure. And again, you got to see a visual of that with our elder team. And it is just so humbling to be a part of that team. However, Kondo also mentioned the idea of decentralizing the church. And I would love to touch on that for just a moment. Outside of Jesus, the invincible church cannot be about a leader. The Invincible Church has to be about a body of believers moving together in one mind, in one heart, in harmony, in unity, giving and testifying. But we do. We live in this age of rock star pastors where everyone comes to see the guy on stage to, to wave his magic Bible wand for 45 minutes or so. And we walk away and we say, oh, that was good. And we, we critique it a little bit. And then when we think about, you know, sharing the gospel, we think, well, that's the professional's job. And we'll bring our friends to church and let them hear some things. But this idea of us sharing and giving and, you know, that's, that's what those guys are for. And, and listen, I can say this because Kondo is out of town uh, today. I often refer to the two of us in, in our discussions and, and meetings as chief idiot number one and chief idiot number two. And we fight for that number one spot constantly. I mean, really arm wrestle over it. And what we want you to know is, is that we're just guys. And the elders that you saw up on stage last week, they're, they're just guys, humans with struggles and issues and, and, and concerns. And yet I don't want to diminish or take away from our role of leadership because seriously, it's just so humbling and an honor and a privilege to be trusted with this moment of leadership. But that's all it is. It's a moment. Many great leaders have come before us and helped to shape us and given us shoulders to stand on. And many great leaders will come after us and take the church into the next generations. And for now, we've been given this moment to steward. And I believe with the team that we have and some of the structures that we're continuing to build and accountability and, and, and places around here, we have some really, really exciting times ahead of us. But it won't count for much unless the body, unless you, are willing to go all in and to be excited to testify on behalf of what Jesus has done in your life. So we've created an opportunity to do just that. It's a risky one, but I can stand and I can testify that it's, it's powerful. It's something that's gonna be so meaningful to you. It's something that's gonna be so powerful for this community. And I can tell you, you will survive. Each month we create a, a love op. It's our opportunity and our operation to take the love of Jesus outside the walls of this building and into our community. And you heard last month we shared with our foster and adoptive families some encouragement and these gift baskets. Well, this month our focus is prayer for our community. And so we've lovingly tabbed this our prayer op for the month of March. And so on March 19th, two weeks from Today, we are going to split up into 10 neighborhoods within our community. And we are hoping and praying for 150 people to join us in this movement and moment of prayer 
in these neighborhoods. And so you'll have an opportunity. In fact, when you leave here this morning, there'll be sign-up sheets out in the lobby. And so you can pick one of these neighborhoods and you can sign up for it. And there'll be a team captain who will get in touch with you. And there'll be a moment to meet up on the 19th from 4 to 5 p.m. And we will just go out and we will pray. And I know this is just nerve-wracking and hard. And for some people, it's like, no way. But let me just show you just how simple this thing can be. You'll go with a team of people and there might be two, three, four of you that go up to a door and you can take turns or perhaps one of the more confident ones of you can take the lead and some of the maybe quieter ones can kind of stand in the background and pray as you go. But you just go and you knock on the door. And if somebody opens the door, you can just say something simple like, hi, uh, my, my name is Matt and um, th- this is my friend John and we're from Mission Point Community Church and we're in the neighborhood here this evening um, just wanting to pray for people. In, in fact, um, prayer has been such a powerful thing in our lives and God has done amazing things through it. That's the testify moment. And, and, and we just want to know if we could maybe pray for you. And that's it. And you step back and you you just let them respond. And, you know, some people are not even going to come to the door. That's okay. And and some people are going to come to the door and they're going to say no. That's okay too. You pray for them as you walk away from their house. It's totally cool. (laughs) And some people are going to say yes. And they're going to say, sure. I, I don't know what to pray for, but yeah, sure. Well, can we just pray the grace and peace of Jesus o- over your home? Uh, okay. And some people are going to instantly say, yes, could you please pray for this? And they're going to share something with you. Last time we did this, I was so nervous. Last fall, during our love blitz, we, we launched our love blitz by doing this prayer op for a week and um, One time we went out with our staff team to a neighborhood in Winona and then later in the week, um, some people came to my house and then we went around to my neighborhood. And I'm telling you, I was so nervous when we did this. Sitting here today and talking about this and thinking about this two weeks from now, I'm nervous about this. And that's a normal feeling. Walking up to a stranger's door and just knocking, not all of us are wired to do that. And then to take the next step and say, hey, can I pray for you? Obviously, that is a challenging thing to do. But I'm telling you, the experience was unbelievable. And I watched as as just my heart became engaged and and started to just look at these neighborhoods and these people with different eyes and just start to have this just spiritual perspective. And I watched as my friends with me starting to just come alive over it and how people were just like, "This this is awesome. This isn't that hard. I actually really enjoy doing this. This is so cool. And we listened and we heard people share stories and tear up over some of the things going on in their lives. And we had some people who just said, sure, pray for me. I don't know. And we had some people who said, no, no thanks. And it's okay. But we had this amazing opportunity to go out and to testify and to share about the power of God through prayer and then pray over people in their homes. The night that we were walking around um, my neighborhood, there was another group of um, Grace College students who were out with condo. And um, 
apparently they, you know, sort of wrapped up their night and they all waved goodbye to Kondo and, and, and he went on about his way. And then they were like, guys, this is awesome. Let's keep going. And they did. I mean, they went just totally rogue, willy-nilly all around town, just praying for anybody they could find. It was just so, so cool. And the way that we found out about this is someone was looking on Facebook and all of a sudden saw this post go up. And so they, they let us know. And so a number of us from staff kind of looked this thing up. And I want to share this, this with you here. This, this woman wrote, uh, just went to Owens. And while I was shopping for whole wheat bread, lots to choose from, three students from Grace College stopped me literally in my tracks requesting to pray for me. Anything I wanted, they said. They wanted to pray for me. I swear a million things ran in my head in like two seconds. And I, I just replied, yes, please pray for me and, and also my friends and family and for better health. And we bowed our heads in the middle of the aisle with no care in the world and prayed. And then this other woman responded, we had some stop by our house tonight and prayed with us on our front porch. And I too had a million things run through my head, but was asked to pray. I asked them to pray for a friend who was just recently diagnosed with breast cancer and she started chemo. And this conversation, this thread just continues on and on and on. And other people chime in and other people are like, yeah, somebody prayed with me too. And this is so amazing. This is so unusual. Wow, I can't believe this. Who are these people? What are they up to? Just going around praying for people. How neat is that? In the world we live in, in the divided culture we have, so refreshing. And people were able to experience God and the power of Jesus through just a simple thing of people offering to pray for them. And so we can be like the folks in Acts chapter four, who are all in, moving forward in one heart and one mind, being generous and testifying. And I believe if we choose to do that, we're gonna find what those believers found in verse 33. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. You see, what happens when we open ourselves up and make ourselves available and respond to God's call and become faithful to the things that he has placed in front of us, those are the moments that he will show up and do the work that only he can do. He shows up and he pours out the grace that is needed. He shows up and applies the power that only he can apply. It is not our job to be responsible for the results. And that can be the most terrifying thing. What if I say the wrong thing? What if I do the wrong thing? What if I'm rejected? What if something I say causes someone to push away from God and God's saying, listen, stop it with that. I'll take care of that. You just be faithful. Step forward, testify. Share the things that I have done in your life. You raised your hand and said, Jesus has changed you. Get out and share about that. Be generous, be unified, walk together in mission and God will show up in his grace and in his power. Or we can be like the folks in Acts chapter five. We can withhold, we can worry about our own needs, we can take care of ourselves. And in that, I believe we'll face the disappointing consequences of our own selfishness. See, for me, I don't even think this is a question. I want to be a part of a place that is filled with God's grace and power, a place where people are postured to give their all and testify on behalf of the miraculous works of Jesus. Because that, my friends, 
is what it means to be part of the invincible church. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so very much for your church. Thank you for the privilege it is to live in this time and in this place and be given the opportunity to carry this mission forward. And Lord, my prayer for us today is that we would be found faithful in this work. Lord, we know that you and you alone, only you can change people's hearts. Only you can step in and change people's lives. Only you can orchestrate just unbelievable, miraculous circumstances. But God, we believe we have been called to share and to carry the movement forward and to be generous and to open our hands up and our lives up to the people around us. So God, I pray that we would be faithful in that work. Give us the courage we need. Give us the boldness we need to trust you completely, and to love others well. In Christ's name, amen.